Hey, sweet sister friend, if you are enjoying the Orphan Spirit series, or perhaps you are new to Shine and you're like, what is she talking about? And you just want to know what it means to walk in your full identity as a co-heir of Christ, as a daughter of the King, and as a host of the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to learn more about Shine's signature program, Fit for Life. Fit, F-I-T, is freedom in truth. Now, of course, we know, y'all, we need to keep our bodies healthy, but that starts with your soul being healthy. We know that the spirit that indwells within us is already healthy, but then we need to keep our souls healthy. So it just does, it tells us in 3 John 2, it says, I pray that you are prospering just as your soul prospers. So in order to have a healthy body, we have to have that healthy soul, that spirit, of course, needs to live in a host that is healthy, your body, but we need to have that soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your attitude, your thoughts, all of that comes from your soul, having a healthy soul. So I invite you to learn more. We're going to be launching another round of that in November. And I would love for you to learn more and to invite us and explore what it means to live fully and freely as a child of God. So message me to say, Hey, Franny, I want to learn more, want to learn more. Franny at shinewithfranny.com. All right, y'all. Now, grab your pen and paper, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, sweet sister. Welcome to the Shine with Franny show. I'm Franny, and I'm on a mission to help you become stronger, healthier, and more confident using God's word so you can live fully, freely, and fearlessly. I'm committed to bringing you edutaining stories, which is my way of saying I'm going to make you laugh a little and learn a little something at the same time with the hope that you will be encouraged and strengthened to Kung Fu kick that darn devil right in the crotch and let him know his rightful place in your life. Girl, he is not the boss of you. So let's claim your freedom and walk in it. All right, sweet sister, you are in the right place if you're also under construction and you need a little extra Jesus and joy in your world every day. I believe that God has a special message for you today. It's about to get hot up in here, so let's go. Hey, sweet sister friend, welcome back to the Shine with Brandy show. First and foremost, thank y'all for being here and thank you for the many messages and uh, comments and texts and all the good things about how much this series is impacting you. So I pray that this message is going to bless you. I always pray that my words never return void. And so I will pray that this message today will continue as we delve deeper into the childhood trauma and the experience that we have not only in our own childhood, but from our parents and their parents. And then of course, into the next generation, into our kids' generation. And even though you might not have a child like myself, we still transfer that into the children that we are around, whether it be a teacher or whether that be your nieces and nephews and you know our friends' kids and things like that. The thoughts that we say, the way that we speak to them, the way that we prophesy over them. Every single time I'm with my nephew, I'm like, I just pray God's blessing of you. You are a strong and mighty man. You are a warrior. You're an ambassador of Christ. I know that you've got great things in store. You're going to bless everyone you go around today. And he's like, Aunt Franny, like he looks at me and like raises his eyebrows. He's 12 now. When he was four and five, it was a little bit different. He was like, yes, I am. But I did not have anyone speaking to me like that, y'all. I don't know about you, but I did not have that growing up. And in fact, by the age of 10, it is reported that your belief system is established. You develop it literally from birth all the way through until age 10. But they say that by then it is defined. So you're like, well, what do you mean by a belief system? So your belief of money, is money a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You know, what do people think of of being rich? What does rich versus wealthy mean? We start to establish some of these things. Like, I don't know about you, but 
you know, when I would go to my friend's houses, you know, my, I would come back and my grandma would say, oh, well, they're poor. You know, the one little girl that I hung out with when I was little, she lived in a housing development, you know, a government housing development. And my grandma would be like, oh, I don't want you to hang out with her. My grandma was judgmental. God bless her soul. She was good in so many ways, but she would then say things, <coughs> excuse me, like if a good friend of mine had a really nice car. Now this is of course when I was older, but she would say, oh, they must have a lot of money. And then, you know, hang around her kind of thing. So gravitate towards that and away from this, right? And so we start to develop these ideas of even things like, you know, love and marriage and and sex. I don't know about you, but sex was bad, you know, air quote bad. We never talked about it. Like I can't ever really remember anyone in my family showing love and affection. You know, my grandparents slept in different beds, you know, of course they were older and whatnot, but, and my grandfather was disabled. So, but I never really saw intimacy modeled in the home. So my belief system around that was very different. And I'm just going to be honest, y'all. Like I watched my mom and my grandma, like we're from this big Italian family. Like they walked around the house naked and I was like, oh, okay. Like, mm." so you're starting to shape your identity of your body, your body image, what different body parts look like. You know, my grandma with her sagging boobs and you know, all the things. And so I'm just, I'm just getting real with y'all up in here today, but we established these belief systems by the age of 10. And then those then transfer into our adulthood. And then, like I mentioned a few seconds ago into the next generation. And so if we grew up, you know, thinking bad things about love, sex, marriage, money, and food, you know, if I had a relationship with food from a very young age, food was my comforter. I could go into the closet. I could stuff my mouth with Oreos and Ho-Hos and things like that. And it was my comforter. So it became a friend to me. And I also know, I have some friends who I know, they have locks on their pantry, okay, y'all? Now, there's no judgment on that, but there's a lot of issues that can happen as a result of that because it's a control mechanism. And so when you think about that, you know, think about what that child's relationship with food will be, you know, and that food is bad. I can't have it. It's off limits. So we start to develop that relationship. And then guess what? Like, just like if you never had alcohol and you all of a sudden went away to college and then you just like binge on it, right? That's oftentimes what happens. We go to the extreme. So as we think about all of these belief systems that are established from the early age, that's what the enemy wants. Exactly that. And if you listen to last week's episode or the earlier episode, um, you learned, of course, that the enemy, he went after the babies. He went after baby Jesus, right? And he said, you know, Herod said, go and kill all the little boys under the age of two. The enemy likes to attack us in our early childhood, but because then he can alter and manipulate our belief systems. And as I mentioned, if the research is showing that by the age of 10, you have these beliefs, then guess what? You're going to continue into your pre-adolescence and adolescence, and then obviously into adulthood with this thought and ideology and this belief system that things are bad or good. So we oftentimes have to unlearn. And in fact, I actually did a workshop this summer called unlearn because we have to unlearn, you know, some of these negative toxic thoughts. And then they lead into thought, excuse me, those thoughts then lead to behaviors and those behaviors then lead to lifestyles. And so, you know, is exercise good? Is exercise bad? You know, and so thinking about the whole fitness component, you know, that I oftentimes will address in my groups and challenges and things. So we have to unlearn many of these beliefs and many of these thoughts. We have to rewire our brains. Now, the good thing is within four days, sister friend, four days, you can actually change your neural pathways. 
you can actually switch the gears if you are thinking about you know a railroad track system as you start to think a negative thought you can actually replace it with truth replace it with a good thought and actually rewire your brain to go ahead and switch tracks if you will if you're going with that um railroad metaphor and you can actually switch the track nope that's not who i am nope that's not what i believe nope that's not what i'm thinking today you can actually change the way that your brain works amazing god did it like he's just amazing i just can't speak enough of god so the enemy wants to attack you right because he knows that he can then at any given moment he can just snap his fingers and you're thinking that thought you go back to that And you've probably heard me say this before, but at any given moment, sister friend, heaven and hell are fighting for your soul at any given moment, which by the way, I need to give a disclaimer because I don't want to be considered a heretic here by any means. But in the last episode, you guys, I mentioned that, you know, getting your, your spirit healthy, it is your soul. Your spirit is already healthy. You're already the Holy spirit in living and dwelling inside of you. So it is your soul that needs to be healthy. So that's just a disclaimer to that. I just get on a roll. And as you guys can tell, I get so excited about this that I just want to share it with everyone. Okay. So the enemy, he wants to alter what you think about life here on earth so that you then have a skewed vision of who God is, of what heaven is, of what, you know, eternity is going to look like. Because if he can get you to change what you're thinking here, then you're not thinking towards eternity. You're not thinking the bigger picture. And so The enemy really wants to have us live by our set of labels of the sins that we've committed, you know, and all all of the negative things that we've done. And we continue to dwell on the things that we should have, would have, could have said. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to live freely. I don't want you to live as a captive. I don't want you to live, you know, bound to that belief system of who you are. And he says, I want you to live freely with the identity of your inheritance with his son. So the enemy wants to us to live by labels of our sin. And God says, no, I want you to live freely with your identity of your inheritance with my son, Jesus. So ultimately y'all, the enemy is after our identity. Your identity is a child of God, your identity from the power that lives and dwells within you from Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. We have to remind ourselves that everything that Christ is, we actually possess, we have it within us. But the enemy knows this. And so then guess what? He schemes and tries to thwart us from actually reaching our full potential. So if you go back to the last episode, 92, you'll learn, of course, that that's where he went to the nativity. And he was like, look, if I can go ahead and get them at infancy and from really realizing who they are, then they're going to grow up with a belief system that they're not good enough. They're not smart enough. They don't have the resources. They, they can never go to college. They can never get their master's. They can never get their doctorate. They can never go for that job. Because we don't think like, well, God has given me everything, right? It says that I will, I, God will meet all of your needs. God will supply for me. God is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. If we think that we are less than, if we think that we don't have, you know, Abba, Father, Daddy, who's going to come and say, yeah, you want that? I want to give that to you. You know, you want some, you want some bread? Oh, let me give you a snake. No, 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 no. But we think that like, I don't deserve that. And so that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to keep us playing small and keep us living under the shadow, not the shadow of the wings in Psalm 91, but under the shadow of fear and guilt and condemnation. And so here's the other thing, sweet sister friend, is that worse yet, he wants us to carry on that wound and pass it on to the next generation. And so we have to then 
that's where we really have to start. Okay, not only thinking about our own thought life, but what are we saying to others? What are we then doing to other people around us and sharing, especially, you know, in ministries in our homes and, you know, in our spheres of influence and our workplaces and things like that, because we don't want to pass that on to the next generation. I once heard this in a sermon, and I'm going to share this with you today because I thought it was relevant. Um, Jerry Flowers, one of my favorite pastors, he's an awesome, awesome pastor, very charismatic. And he says, if the wound is not transformed, it will be transferred. Boom, I'm going to put that in a quote card. If the wound is not transformed, it will get transferred. And so we, as kingdom change agents, need to say, okay, wait, I don't want that wound to be transferred to anyone else. My husband, my wife, my friend, you know, all, whomever that is. I don't want it to be transferred to my friends, my coworkers, my children. I don't want that wound to be transferred over to anyone else. I need it to stop here. So we need to keep fighting. You know, we, sorry, we need to, we need to stop fighting the Goliath that has been passed on from our generations, you know, from the ancestors, pardon me, into the next generation. And here's the thing that we know about the enemy. We know that he sends us fiery darts it tells us in um, in Ephesians 6 that he's going to send things your way. And the thing that I know, and I've talked about this before, is that it's very often the same Goliath we keep fighting. The Goliath just looks differently. And I've shared for you that I was always looking for comfort and love, you know, and I found that in a food, you know, in, in food and ho-hos and mad dog in the bedroom, like all the different places that I look for love in all the wrong places. And so we need to say, okay, the buck is going to stop here. I'm not going to carry on the wounds of my pa- my parents and of my past. And I'm not going to pass it on then to the next generation. It is going to, I'm drawing a line of sand and it's going to stop with me. This generational curse no longer going to continue. And y'all know that I'm on a mission to help, you know, us kill the Goliaths so we can raise up a remnant of David's. And that includes you, sister friend. You are royalty. Just like David, you are a queen who will walk in victory. So we're going to actually dive into the story of Samuel, sorry, into first Samuel, the story of David. And actually Samuel does come um, into play in this story here. Of course, the story of David, we most well know him as David and Goliath, right? A young 17 year old boy who gets anointed as king. But here's the thing, y'all, he gets overlooked first, right? Tell me how you would feel if that one, like, oh yeah, I've got these seven sons here, these strapping young sons. And in 1 Samuel 16, and I'm not going to read all of this today, you guys, but in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David, but I love that he goes to Jesse's house and he's like, okay, let's look over all these boys. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And he's like, well, I do have one more, Jesse says. I do have one more son, but he's out in the fields. And Samuel's like, oh yeah, go call for that one. And of course, when he comes, he gets anointed. Now, here's the thing you need to know, sister, is that David was anointed but it wasn't in, it anointed as a 17-year-old shepherd boy, but it wasn't until almost 10, you know, 10, 15 years later that he was an anointed as king, excuse me, that he was actually in the role of king. He was anointed very early and many times throughout that decade until he was 30, he then of course had many chances and opportunities to show up as a king. So if you're waiting for something to happen in your life and you're like, wait, I felt like God called me to do this. And I'm only speaking from experience on this one, sister friends, believe me, because <laughs> I'm like, I feel like God called me to do this. I'm like, why is it taking so gosh darn long? Like this is painful and abysmal and agonizing waiting. I don't know about you, but that waiting game, no fun. So, but as we dive into um, 17, the story of David and Goliath, we're going to kind of skip into 
kind of the second part of this story here. So obviously he's a little shepherd boy and, you know, all of his brothers had witnessed him becoming, um, excuse me, getting anointed from Samuel early on. And so David says, okay, he, you know, his dad says, okay, go bring your brother's lunch. And he calls them, of course, into, he goes on the battlefield. So he's going to go and he's going to bring them. And, you know, he's a young boy. But the thing that I love about this story, you guys, and this is why I want you to go back and read it on your own. You always know how important that is to go back on your own. But I love David's confidence. Now, you might look at it as arrogance, just like his brother did. And in verse 28, so this is 1 Samuel 17, 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the desert? So he's like, what are you even doing here? He's like, you know, you're slacking on the job. You left the sheep out there. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch. And he's like, you're, you're useless. Like you just came down here to observe, like you're, you know, you're a jerk, you're conceited, you're arrogant. You know, I know that you have a horrible heart. And David's like, Nate, now what have I done? He says in verse 29, he's like, seriously, like, can I even talk? And so I love this. You see like that tension, that sibling rivalry and that hatred that Eliab has because, because he's been anointed right? But this is what I love, sister friends. Here's this young boy full of bravado and probably cluelessness. And he goes and he says in verse 37, then let me see if I could find it here. He goes and he says, um, to Saul, he's like, look, I've already been doing this stuff. You know, I, I, I have confidence. I, I can go and do this because let me tell you what it says here. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the land of the Philistine. So he's like, dude, send me like, I got God on my side you know? And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, I can't argue with that one. Right. And then in verses 45 through 47, and again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he goes up to Goliath. He yells across from the battlefield and he says, you know, um, who are you? You know, you come here with a sword and a spear. And he's like, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God almighty. Today, the Lord is going to hand you over to me and I'm going to strike you down. He's like, is very specific in his action battle plan. He's like, the Lord's going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. He's like, this is how it's going to go down. Okay. And then verse 47, all those gathered here will know today that it is not by the sword of the spear that the Lord says, but the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Love that so much because there's so much confidence. And here's the message I want to share about this is that confidence comes from knowing our identity. I don't know about you, but if you're ever confident in one thing, you're like, oh yeah, I got this. Like, even when I lost my job last year, you guys, like, I literally was like, okay, God's going to take care of me. Like, this is not a big deal. People are like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? And then when the pandemic hit, I lost my job in February, for those of you who might not know. And then obviously February 10th, I lost my job. And then obviously, you know, COVID hit in March. So it was like, God's got this. Of course, I'm going to be able to to show up. And people were like in fear, like, oh my gosh. And even now, like I travel and do a ton of stuff. And I went out to dinner with the other day with some friends and they're like, I could never live your lifestyle. I could never do what you're doing. Are you ever afraid? And I was like, no, (laughs) I was like, God's got me. I'm like, he's never let me down. And just like David says here to Saul, he's like, oh, let me tell you, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear carried off the sheep, he goes on he like, he uses all the ways I call this my vault of courage. I go back and I'm like, okay, what are the ways in which God has already shown up in my life and protected me and provided for me? I'm going to use that, that confidence to build my courage, to step into that next level. And that's what I'm hoping and I'm praying for you here, sweet sister friend, 
And I love this because in verse 48, then it says the Philistine moved closer to attack him. Of course, the Philistine Goliath is like, you know, come on, bring it on, you know? And it says David ran quickly toward the battle line towards him. I love that. Like he was young and he was bold and he was like, look, I'm coming to you in God's name. You know, and it says reaching into his bag, he then took out the stone. And of course we know the story from there. So our victory comes from the authority of knowing who we are in Christ. So we can go back to those beliefs from our 10 year old self and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me know about what do I think about, you know, my father, even if my father left me or abandoned or forsake me in my earthly home. My heavenly father would never do that to me. And even though my father wounded me back home, you know, in my younger years, my heavenly father would never do that. And in fact, I can go and I can face any giant that comes before me. And so I am going to give you some three quick action steps here to walk away with from this today, because as we look at our childhood trauma, as we look at our wounds and our belief system of our early years, we have to say, okay, I'm not going to carry on that generational curse for my parents, my grandparents, and whom else, you know, you may, may not have known the third or fourth, you know, generation before you, but I'm not going to let that continue to thwart my, you know, potential for me reaching my full potential now as a woman, you know, as an adult, nor am I going to let it go on to the next generation. So the first and foremost thing I want to share with you guys is that in verse 26 is we have to know who our giants are. And so in verse 26, David is asking the men, like he comes to the battle lines and he's like, wait, 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 what's going to be done for the man who, you know, who kills the Philistine. And then he says, and who is this circumcised, uncircumcised Philistine anyways, that he should defy the armies of the living God. He's like, who is this cat? Like, what's his story? Like, why is everyone afraid of fighting him? And so we have to know who our giants are and know the giants that we are fighting. If we don't identify what they are, then sister friend, guess what? We just put our head in the sand and we just continue to walk away and never deal with them. And we never go back to healing that wound. Mm, man alive. Remember what I said earlier, if that wound is not transformed, it will be transferred. If we don't know what it is, then we're going to keep on transferring to the next bloodline and transferring it to the people around us and transferring it. We don't want to do that. We want to transform it. And then the next thing we have to do is of course, reflect, like I said earlier, on what God has already done and what you have already overcome. It says in verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping the father's sheep. When a lion and a bear carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued it from the sheep of the mouth, excuse me, um, the sheep from its mouth. And then when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. So you need to come with confidence. Like, look at what God has already done. And I'm going to face this head on. I'm not going to let this go ahead and, you know, condemn me or keep me playing small anymore or have me living in fear. I'm going to step forward with confidence, just like David did. And then the next thing we have to do here, says your friend, is speak to it. We have to speak to our Goliath, just like it told us in verse 45. He's like, you come to me with the sword and the spear, but I'm coming to you in God's name. So when you say, okay, for me, I'm just going to use again, the woundedness that I had of my father's love. I'm like, no, no, no. My identity is not, does not come from being abused, you know, physically, emotionally, and sexually. God, thank you so much that you have given me the mind of Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have adopted me. You have chosen me. You have anointed me. 
all throughout scripture, you guys start with Ephesians. I would encourage you to do that. If you're struggling with identity, go into Colossians. And then also you guys like Isaiah is packed full of stuff. Arise, shine. Let's break them from their captivity. We are called and anointed to go and to bring the good news. So that's all in my fit for life. If you guys are interested, fit for life is starting in November. So I would encourage you, we, we dive into this, like the mile deep. This is like the tip of the iceberg here. And then what we have to do the next is I love this. So once you speak to it, you've got to go and confront it. It says in verse 48, it says, you know, the Philistine comes to him and David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So he's like, okay, bring it on, dude. I got you. I got you. You, you have nothing on me and my God. I come before you, he says, you know, with the Lord. I come to you, of course, it is the Lord who saves. The battle is the Lord's and I'm going to give it into his hands. Okay, I'm going to deliver you and all of your crazy Philistines into the hand of the Lord. So those are some very practical, tactical, I hope, you know, action steps for you as you're like, okay, I've got this trauma I'm dealing with. I've got this, you know, really belief system that I've, that has been created from the time I was a young girl. And now I want to go ahead and I want to, I want to stop that belief. I want to end that belief. I want to transform it. Romans 12 two, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? We have to transform our minds. Sorry. You will be conformed by the renewing of your mind. <laughs> Y'all, I get so excited. Sometimes I do trip up, up in here. Okay. Know that my heart is to always serve you with truth, wisdom, guidance. So I pray that this blesses you. Go and read the story of David on your own. Go into 1 Samuel 17. Actually, backtrack into verse uh, in 1 Samuel 16. Read the story of his anointing. Because knowing that every single one of the characters in the Bible, I hate to even say characters, but every single one of the persons in the Bible, they are pointing us to Jesus. And guess what? As a co-heir in Christ, you have Jesus in you. So guess what that means? They're going to, they're going to go ahead and um, describe you. So you have also been anointed just like David. You also have the same power that he used with that one stone to kill your giant. But you have to come boldly to the battle line and say, nope, no more. You have to come and say, okay, God, you have shown up here, here, and here in my life. So I know that my identity, you know, is in you and that I can be then strengthened and emboldened and empowered. And I can come forward and face my giants today. All right, sister friend, I pray this blesses you. If so, share it with someone else. That's the biggest way we can get this message out because I want us to continue to share God's word as we seek to become healthier, stronger, and more confident using his word. That is where we, of course, get our strength. All right. Until next time, keep on shining.